0: So Psalm 73, uh, it's entitled, A Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how could God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely, in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, "I will speak thus," I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely, you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds.
1: Uh, We might just pause and and draw near to God in prayer for a moment before I start. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray that the words of my lips uh, and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, may be pleasing and acceptable to you. uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Like Wilson at the moment, we're currently doing um, a little mini-series on the book of Job. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the book of Job really is uh, on the topic of suffering. It's quite a good topic, I think, to be addressing at the moment. Uh, Not only with COVID, uh, but in Australia, uh, if you reflect back on the last 12 months, we've had quite a lot of things happen. Uh, There's been floods, there's been fires, there's been a cyclone recently. And while we ourselves personally uh, may not have been directly impacted... Um, Businesses have been affected. I'm sure you know people who have been affected in one way or another. Travel has been interrupted. The economy has been affected. And we can sometimes be left wondering, well, what is God up to? So we don't have time to look at the entire book of Job today. You're probably glad about that. It's 42 chapters. I think Ben's going from chapters 3 to chapters 37 So it could be a long sermon at Wilson. And we're going to cover the book of Job in three weeks, uh, over a period of three weeks. But I thought what we could do is cover some of the same themes today uh, in the psalm that we've read, Psalm 73. So just to give you a little bit of a taster, if you like. So first of all, Psalm 73 is what they call a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament. And it might surprise you that as you look at the book of psalms, and there's about 150 psalms, I think there is in the book of psalms, that the number one type of psalm, people have classified them, is actually the psalm of lament. In fact, it's been estimated that perhaps up to half the psalms in the Psalter could be classified as psalms of lament. I think that's because life is sometimes, or even often, hard. And I think one of the things that's missing in our modern songbooks is these sort of psalms that express difficulty and sorrow. I remember talking to a Bible college friend of mine, uh, not long after he graduated. He graduated some years after me, but we caught up over a coffee one day, And he was working in a church in a leafy, what I would call a leafy green suburb uh, in Perth. And he preached on a psalm of lament. And he was shocked at how many people came up to him after the service and thanked him. And said, it's the first time that someone has expressed the feelings uh, that they have. So we're going to look at Psalm 73, but there's one thing to notice first. Uh, in the title, it says it's a psalm of Asaph. Well, who is Asaph, I wonder? Well, back in King David's day, he's a Levite that's appointed to lead worship in the time of the tabernacle. We read about that in 1 Chronicles chapters 6 and 15. You can read that when you go home if you like. And these duties with the tabernacle worship obviously continued on once the, the temple was built and after the temple was built. So the writer of today's psalm may not be and probably isn't the original Asaph um, back in King David's time, but he's almost certainly involved in what we would call the music ministry. Today, That's what we would say. So as a musician and song leader, you expect him to take a fairly upbeat and positive view of life and God. But I think as we read the early part of the psalm, he's anything but. So let's read just the first part of the psalm again. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, "How can God know? Does the most high have knowledge?" This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. These are what I would call raw and honest words. And I think what makes these words all the more startling is that we're here, we're talking about the song leader. You know, this is the person who's supposed to be lifting everyone else up. Uh, And he is clearly not in a good headspace himself. I don't know whether that's ever happened to you. It reminds me a little bit of of a joke. Uh, Before the service, we were talking about um, schools. So early one morning, a mother went to her sleeping son and woke him up. Wake up, son. It's time to go to school. But why, Mama? I don't want to go to school. Give me two reasons why you don't want to go to school. One, all the children hate me. And two, all the teachers hate me. Oh, that's no reason. Come on, you have to go to school. Give me two good reasons why I have to go to school. Well, one, you're 52 years old. And two, you are the principal of the school. (laughs) So, Asaph is anything but feeling like praising God in this psalm and yet he is the song leader. So why is Asaph so downhearted? Well, the psalm doesn't actually say, but there's 11 psalms written by Asaph or his family in this middle block of the Psalter, Book 3, and it would seem on reading the others that some sort of crisis has happened or is about to happen. So if I can read just a couple of verses from the very next psalm, which is also by Asaph. In Psalm 74, verses 4 to 6, it says, "'Your foes,' this is God's foes, "'roared in the place where you met with us. "'They set up their standards as signs. "'They behaved like men wielding axes "'to cut through a thicket of trees.' They smashed all the carved panelling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. In Psalm 79, verses 1 to 2, also of Asaph. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. So in Psalm 73, while the temple doesn't seem to have actually been invaded yet, um, because later on in the psalm we read about Asaph going into the temple, it seems as though there's a disaster looming. And things are clearly not good. And, and really, Asaph is anything but joyful, as we've seen in the psalm. People are looking to him now for direction and his songs are supposed to give them hope, and he says, you know what, I can't put on my happy face anymore. And you have to put yourself in his shoes. As a Levite, he is completely dependent on the temple for his income and his well-being. It says of the Levites that they're not to have any land or an inheritance. Why? because God is their inheritance. And he is saying to God, God, I gave up everything for you. I was fully committed to the project. And you are supposed to have looked after me, and yet as I look around at the world, it's all the wicked people that are prospering. So this is a time of crisis, I think is the word you would use for Asaph and for the the nation perhaps. And it's interesting, I looked up what does the word crisis mean. Whenever you're confused about these things these days, you Google it. So I looked up the definition of crisis uh, on Google and it's interesting, it gave three kind of different shades of meaning for the word. Number one, it's a time of intense difficulty or danger. I think we can relate to that. It's when, when something is happening that's bigger than what you can cope with. The second one is a bit different. It says it's actually a time when an important decision must be made. It's a critical time, we would say. And then thirdly, it can even mean, its classical meaning in fact, is it's the turning point of a disease when an important change takes place, indicating either recovery or death. Uh, so I found that interesting, that that's the definitions of the word crisis. And we'll come back to that. But in verses 1 to 12 that we've read, Asaph has been looking at the world and inwardly reflecting in his heart. And it hasn't been good. And he's saying the wicked prosper while those that serve God are humbled and rejected. Well, that's how it feels. And he's been reflecting in his heart, but in verses 13 to 16, he starts speaking to God. He says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain, vain means for no point. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning if I said I will speak thus I would have betrayed your children when I tried to understand all this it was oppressive to me so Asaph really spits it with God it reminds me of that saying you know where people say why don't you tell me what you really think well I think Asaph has actually just told God what he really thinks And some people might say, well, you know, it's okay to think these things in your heart, but, you know, you shouldn't say those things to God. Well, actually, it's to God you really should say them. That's the good thing about the Lament Psalms, is that God can take it. That's the best person to take it to. And Asaph is really miffed. Basically, he says the only thing stopping him from getting up in church and giving God a spray in public is that it might undermine someone else's faith. So he's not in a good place. So I've called this section Losing My Religion, verses 13 to 16. And in the US, if you say that someone loses their religion... Apparently it means that you've lost your temper. I don't know if there's anyone from the US, but apparently that's what it means. You know, if you have a, a meltdown at a local store or there's road rage or whatever, you can say that someone lost their religion. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were walking away from their faith. There's actually a song written by a band called REM that came out in 1991, and it was called Losing Your Religion. Losing My Religion. And they interviewed the, the songwriter. And he said, well, yes, it is actually about losing your temper. But it's also about coming to the end of your rope. You've just had enough. There's nothing left in the tank anymore. And I think that describes Asaph completely. He'd come to the end of himself. He's got nothing else to give. And, and, and maybe you've been at that point. Maybe you're at that point now. But I want to suggest to you something this morning. Sometimes losing your religion, in inverted commas, can be a good thing. There's a guy called Walter Brueggemann. I, I love that name. I-, I think if you had a child and your name was... he had a surname Brueggemann, you'd call him Walter Brueggemann. It just sounds right, doesn't it? And, and he was always destined, I think, with a name like that to become a theologian. But he studied the Psalms... And he says that the Psalms in some ways are not like our modern songbook. We often say, oh, well, this, this, the book of Psalms is like our songbook. He says, well, it is and it isn't. He, he believes that unlike our modern songbooks, uh, which have no rhyme or reason as to the order of the Psalms, the book of Psalms actually tells a story. There's themes that go through. And it tells the story of Israel. And it takes you from the time of King David uh, through the exile to the return to the land. And his summary statement is that the book of Psalms is a journey from duty to delight. And he believes that Psalm 73 and the Psalms near it, uh, which tend to be lament Psalms, are the turning point in the entire book of the Psalms. So in this second half of the psalm, we also come to the turning point of Psalm 73. And Asaph goes into the temple. He goes into the temple, it's probably the last place he actually felt like going, I think. He goes into the temple not to lead people in worship, not to set up for next week's worship service or for a music practice, He doesn't go there to tidy up the hymn books or because he has to. He goes there because he needs to. And he spends time with God. You know, Jordan asked me earlier what's one of the things I like about preaching. What I like is that people come, I said, with hungry hearts. And I believe that. People are wanting to hear from God. What I don't like about it is that At times, you can find yourself so busy preparing sermons that personally you stop listening to God. So let's read the last part. Asaph takes time out and he goes into the temple, not for anything else, but just to be with God. So, verse 17 Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I love these verses. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... It is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. What's interesting about Asaph is that he goes into the temple with one mindset and he comes out with a different one. He sees the world differently. And yet in one sense for Asaph, nothing has changed. Not physically, at least. The, The enemies are still threatening. And in fact, it's interesting, in my Bible reading this morning, I was reading in 2 Kings chapter 19, or some commentaries about it. And King Hezekiah went into the temple. I don't know if you remember, but the enemies threatened Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah went into the temple and he laid it all out before the Lord. And it says that that night, the angel of the Lord came and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died. And Jerusalem was delivered. God can do that. It seems like in Asaph's case, nothing changed. The threats didn't go away, but he changed. Something in his mindset completely changed and he was okay. And he realises in the temple, the wicked, which he thought had everything, have actually got nothing. Nothing. And he, who he thought had nothing, has actually got everything. How so? Well, let's look at a couple of verses in more detail. Verse 25. I love these verses. He says, Whom do I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. In other words, as a Levite, he'd essentially made a vow of poverty. God was his inheritance and now he realises, you know what, that is enough. And as he looks at heaven, he says there's nothing that he wants more than God. As he looks at the earth, he says there's nothing he desires more than God. And if he had to choose between all this other stuff he mentioned in the first part of the psalm, the arrogant with their prosperity, their no-struggles, breezing through life, popular and carefree, he would actually choose God, even if it involves difficulties. In verse 26, he realises that God is his portion, not just now, but forever. And it's enough. And even if the physical temple building goes, he's still got God. It's interesting as you look at the new testament it's as if the disciples have to learn this lesson all over again maybe we have to learn it over and over again i'm sure we do the disciples are coming to jerusalem jesus has just said he's going to die as their messiah what are they arguing about they're arguing about who is going to be the greatest who's going to sit at the left and the right of jesus in his kingdom and they're thinking about a physical kingdom and it all comes crashing down. And Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple and I will build it again in three days. The temple always was about something else apart from a physical building. It always represented that genuine relationship with God that is enabled through what Jesus did for us on the cross. So Asaph has faced a crisis The circumstances, coming back to that definition of crisis, the circumstances are beyond him. That's what a crisis means. It's also a time when important choices have to be made. And depending on how he chooses to think, things will either go up or go down from here. That's what crises present to us every time they appear. So I love this image in the psalm. He says in verse two, my foot nearly slipped. And then in verse, I'd only link this together uh, quite recently. So we've got the foot slipping out from under you. Have you ever had that happen to you? But then later in the psalm it says, you hold me by my right hand. I'm not sure if you've ever been walking with a toddler It's a long time since I've done this with Luke. Uh, Luke's now third year uni and he's taller than I am. But when he was a little tacker and you're walking along maybe a rocky path, you're holding a toddler by their hand and they start to slip. And you don't just steady them, you more or less lift their whole weight with your hand. Have you ever done that with little toddlers when they start to trip? That's the picture I get with God and Asaph. Uh, in this psalm. Because in verse 26, our English Bible say, my heart and my flesh may fail. But in actual fact, in Hebrew, it says, my heart and flesh do fail. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. When you're young, you know, you've got your career and you've got your health, your looks, your energy and you think you're invincible. But we will grow weak. Things will happen that are too big for us. Our heart and flesh will fail. And the psalmist says it's okay. Underneath are the everlasting arms. So I want to finish with this thought. What do you think it means for Asaph when he says his foot was about to slip. I don't think he means that he was physically going to trip over. Do you? I think it means that mentally, his pattern of thinking, he was about to slip. And we have the same thing in the book of Job. Bad things happened to Job, even though we're told he is innocent. And in the last chapter, which I'll be preaching on next week, it says that Job repented. And you kind of read that verse and you think, repented? I thought he was innocent. And it's not saying that he was a sinless person, but what he's saying in the book of Job is that he didn't do anything to deserve the suffering that came upon him. So what does it mean when it says repented? Well, in Hebrew, repented just means that he had a change of mind. And often it means to repent of a particular sin, but sometimes it's actually repenting in terms of your pattern of thinking. He'd been thinking badly about God. In fact, he actually wanted to take God to court. And in a way, what he's saying at the end of the book is he's withdrawing the summons to court. He started trusting that God actually knows what he's doing in this world. And he has a plan. God has a plan to deal with evil, even if at times we suffer. And so sometimes we need to repent, not so much of sins, but a pattern of thinking. I was actually here yesterday. We had an eldership training morning. And uh, I came across the same idea in the New Testament. We read something from the New Testament in Revelation chapter 2 where it talks about the church at Ephesus. And it says the church at Ephesus had a lot of zeal uh, and, and they were doing all these great things for God. But then at the end it says, but you've lost your first love. And the writer of Revelation Uh, says that Jesus asked them to repent. He's not asking them to repent of their good works or their zeal. Those are good things. What he's saying is to repent of their attitude and their thinking. They needed to recapture their first love. And our thinking is important, especially in a crisis. So the question I have asked you in the bulletin to discuss after church is whom do I have in heaven but you? I'll get you to put up, yeah, the next slide. Whom do I have in heaven but you? Can we, can you really say what the psalmist said? Heaven and earth has nothing I desire but you. Because I want to suggest to you, the way we answer that, the thing that we hold most dear to us, is going to determine how we respond in a crisis. If our answer isn't, actually God is the most important thing in my life, we're not going to cope well with a crisis. So this is a very important question. Who do I have? Who am I looking to? Because it will help us to deal with the future, disappointments in life, old age and ill health. It's all really tied up with that question. So the psalm finishes with these words, I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I'll tell of all your good deeds. It's an interesting finish to the psalm. He says, I will tell of all your good deeds. He's saying, actually, you know what? Whatever happens... I can go into the temple, I can lead the people in singing, I can praise God again. And I think the following Sabbath day he was there leading the singing again in a very different mindset. You know, the world is facing difficult times. Are there things that we need to repent of? And I'm not talking about just sins here. I'm talking about our thinking My prayer for you is that God will prove sufficient for whatever you are going through this week. And if you're at the bottom, my prayer for you is that like that toddler who feels like he's stumbling, there's a hand that will hold you. Amen. Perhaps we'll pray again and then the music team is going to come up. I can't remember the last song, but I remember it's a beauty Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it's new every morning. Uh, Great is your faithfulness. Uh, We thank you that um, we don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. Uh, We thank you for these words, these very raw and honest words from Asaph. We pray that we can be challenged by them, but not only challenged by them, but we can go through his journey Um, from disappointment to faith. Um, We pray that we can make you the number one, that we can actually say, uh, heaven has nothing that I desire but you and earth has nothing I desire but you. And we pray that if we need to repent in our hearts and in our thinking, uh, that we can do that in Jesus' name.